0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the pod that follows the money behind the beautiful game and unwittingly starts arguments amongst Luton Town fans. I'm Kevin Day. And he's Kieran Maguire, football finance expert at Liverpool University. Uh, he's in a different place to me, don't worry. He's socially distancing himself mainly from Luton fans at the moment. And I, I, we didn't mean to do that. It was just a very innocent interview, which was um, uh, well it got picked up and went all over the place. But yeah. Yeah,
1: Gary was Gary was very honest and uh, passionate about his involvement with the club, and, and fair play to him, I think. Uh, those people that perhaps just looked at the headlines and didn't didn't have a full listen, uh, perhaps might have mis- misconstrued some of his comments.
0: Yeah, well, see, as your mum would say, what it needed was a proper interview, Kieran. Absolutely. Really. You let, the, you, let the, you let the monkey start running the barrel organ, then all sorts <laughs> of things could happen. <laughs> uh, now, coming up, Kieran um, has raised his profile yet again with some very good research into the value of Premier League clubs. Uh, we're starting a bit late because I was only third in the queue behind various other media organisations. <laughs> Apparently Sky get in before Price of Football. There you go. Um, UEFA are getting edgy and the first club to lay players off due to the virus. But first, Kieran, remember Brexit?
1: Oh, eh? just about, just oh, about.
0: Those those, those were the days, weren't they? Happy carefree times when that's all we had to worry about was a country being economically ruined. <laughs> uh, but... Um, we had some discussion shortly before this all kicked off about what would happen uh, post-Brexit uh, transfer-wise with foreign players. Um, and we've got some more details now, haven't we?
1: Yes. Um, yesterday, the Football Association published its uh, its annual report Um, And as it contained numbers, I I was sort of diving into a spreadsheet, but then I started to look at the small print as well. And um, it it did make reference to to Brexit there. But what we've also seen coming out is um, effectively EU countries are going to be treated identically to non-EU countries when it comes to the recruitment of players. So this means that um, if if somebody wants to play football in England, he's going to be assessed on four criteria. So so first of all, it's the number of caps that he's won um, in, in, and that's sort of a sliding scale uh, in terms of you know, the number of caps over the last sort of uh, year or two. Um, secondly, the the FIFA world ranking of of his team which I I always found myself to be a a bit of a weird one because you I I remember I used to go and watch uh, Liverpool occasionally because you know working there and uh, when Yari Lippmanham used to play for them and he was absolutely fantastic player but he played for Finland whose FIFA ranking was never too good so he would he would therefore struggle so it's not the player it's the country which is taken into consideration Um, then the transfer fee the bigger the fee the more likely you are to be recruited and finally the, the wage of the player um relative to other players in in that particular division so what this will result in is that the the big clubs, you know, the, the clubs that can afford the big wages and the big transfer fees, they will now be able to recruit players from the EU and outside of the EU. And I don't think it will impact upon them. But if we take a look at our clubs, you know, Brighton Palace, you know, the clubs of that that stature, they're going to find it that much more difficult because getting the enough points, because it is is a sort of a, it's, it's a complicated, it involves spreadsheet, so I'm happy, but it's it's a complicated um, nature of whether or not somebody qualifies to play in in England.
0: There's there's a couple of issues there. Um, and I'll pause only to say that Yari Lippmann and oh, I saw him take Palace apart once in a League Cup game. It was a personal masterclass. Uh, we had Aki Realati. He wasn't quite as good a Finnish player. But, you know, it was it was like the, the number of caps won, first of all, is interesting because you know, Wilfred Zaha, for example, say he were, he were Belgian. It, it's easier uh, to get caps for the Ivory Coast than it is for... France, So you can have a player who's arguably not as good as another player, but has got a lot of caps for Malta or a smaller country. And the the thing, so you, basically what you're saying is the higher the wages, the more boxes he ticks. Yes. So, that, so that's, so essentially that's a get out clause, as you say, for, for the wealthier clubs. But does that mean that clubs will then be forced to divulge the wages to, to everybody or just to the Department of Employment or wherever it is that? makes a decision
1: well it, it would be it would go before a premier league panel who would then pass on the information to to the doe um and on on that basis the decision would be that we would not find out and, and i think that's right and proper we don't have a right to to know somebody else's wages and and the obsession with football players individual wages is something yep. which has always uh, mystified me
0: so is, is your instinct it won't mean fewer foreign players in the Premier League, but it may mean fewer foreign players outside the top six of the Premier League.
1: Um, yes. Now, the, 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 there there has been the the Premier League did try to push back much further on this, um, because I think the the non big six clubs have have honest have have expressed their concern. There are potential positives. Uh, If you are an an academy player uh, from an English club, you've now got a better chance of breaking into the team. So there's always winners and losers. And also, if if you are an established English player, then you've got less competition when it comes to renewing your contract. So therefore, I think you're in a strong negotiating position with with your present employer, or if you want to go to another English club. So as always, there's winners and losers. The Football Association did say in its account that it was concerned about the knock-on effect of the quality of the game um, that's produced by the Premier League and whether this might longer term um, have an impact upon um, the the sale of broadcasting rights because if, if the product's not as
0: good then people won't be as willing to pay as much money. Well, also the timing's not brilliant because you, you've been speaking for a couple of weeks about the fact that this is, this is going to be a buyer's market, clubs will be paying less money for transfers, you presume offering lower wages. So in effect, that's that's going to work against this point system then, isn't it? If they, they won't be able to have it both ways. They won't be able to get players as bargains and also get them work permits.
1: Yes, I think, I think this is a potential issue um, because as it is a buyer's market, I think the ability of clubs to offer the wages, which perhaps they were offering 12 months ago, simply doesn't exist because clubs themselves don't have the money coming in. Um, and therefore, if it's going to be benchmarked against average wages in the Premier League, um, I think it's going to cause a, a major a major hurdle um, in terms of recruitment. Unless, of course, you are you know, big six clubs recruiting at big six prices.
0: Now, can we move on Kieran because we've all got a bit of time on our hands at the moment and somebody like me if if I've got nothing to do I might I might revisit a book I might watch an old film for example learn a new language who knows uh what you do obviously is look into the value of every premier league club relative to where it was a year ago and it's been it's been causing some interest and are there any surprises any surprises in there um, yeah I think there are
1: quite a few surprises first of all I mean last year when we did this exercise uh, we valued Manchester City as the most valuable club and and that caused people to kick off because they felt it wasn't warranted although Manchester City was subsequently sold or a proportion of them sold was in November which did did actually tie in with the values. Um, what we've seen for 2019 based on the accounts is uh, Spurs come from nowhere in effect to uh, to, to steal, uh, steal the top spot uh, they, they've leapfrogged over both the Manchester clubs uh, and uh, the reason for that is, is, is Spurs as a business is a really smart operation they they delivered a Champions League final they delivered a top four finish and all of the prize money and the rewards that go along with that on on a wage budget that was you know, 100 to 150 million pounds less than that of the, the two Manchester clubs and Liverpool
0: so we should stress these these are all based on tangible comparative facts that you've researched. This this is not your instinct. This is this is actual figures that prove that Tottenham is arguably then the wealthiest club in in the Premier League.
1: That's right. I use something called the the Markham Multivariate Model, which is a book I encourage you to read if you've not read it already.
0: What did I say earlier about rereading old favourites? I, uh, I shall get my well-thumbed copy. <laughs> I've already forgotten what it's called. Carry on.
1: <laughs> right. Well, this this model it it looks at how many tickets you sell as a proportion of. Uh, capacity because that shows how popular you are how good are you at controlling wages are you generating profits do you have a strong balance sheet you know all, all the all the really dull stuff that gets me very giggity um in terms of <laughs> um of, of excitement so so i i plug those all into the exactly the same model because that i, I don't want any bias in this um and uh, yeah uh, spurs came out top um they they are a very smart organisation uh, in terms of keeping the wage bill low they are they were the most profitable club in the premier league last season so i think that was one surprise i think the other one was the success of wolverhampton wanderers yeah that they were bought by foson um two or three years ago i think it was 2016 um for around about 40 million pounds i i've, I've valued them at 10 times that figure because they've come, in, they've come into the Premier League, they've been a breath of fresh air, a seventh place finish, and uh, you know, Premier League prize money is allocated on the basis of how often are you on the telly and where do you finish in the table. So they, they've they punched above their weight um, and I'm sure the owners will be delighted to, uh, to have uh, had such a successful club both on and off the pitch.
0: Uh, this may be a difficult question to answer actually before I get on to something more specific, but when it comes to Wolves, could you argue then that playing attractive football has tangibly added to the value of, of that football club.
1: Yes, it has in the sense that... Um if we 're looking at the income generated by a club that's split into match day commercial, and broadcasting. Now we know that practically every club in the in the Premier League is selling out, so you can't do anything with match day income. So if we then therefore look at the variables you know what what's going to make a difference on a on a week by week or month by month basis, wolves playing attractive football means that they're attractive to broadcasters, and the way that it works is that you, you effectively, you give your first ten matches to the Premier League for nothing under the the general deal, but every match which is more than ten, you're picking up an extra yeah you know, one to one and a half million pounds from the from the broadcasters. Now, no disrespect, if if you look at the previous season, who came seventh? It was Burnley, but Burnley were only shown live on tv seven times they got paid for 10 but they but they're only picked up by bt and sky seven times that's because the perception i don't think the perception is the same as reality um you know uh, is one of those managers who gets a reputation i think which counts against him he, I, if you, if you actually take a look at the way burnley play football it's uh, they play some pretty good stuff and, and they've got the you know the, new, you know the the lad mcneil who's come through this season who looks an absolute super player um but that count, counted against burnley finishing seventh uh, the Wolves' style of football which is a delight to watch um means that the, the broadcasters are more likely to pick up on them
0: yeah well done there for pausing for thought and Deciding that you want to keep Burnley fans happy because you got enough on your plate with Luton fans, yeah, yeah, they, 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 yeah. Let's all agree that Burnley plays some rather attractive football or are capable of it. Um, any surprises in the in the bottom end of this financial league table?
1: Um, well. Bournemouth came bottom at just under £100 million. Now, I appreciate they've got a small ground wow. and so on, um, but uh, that that didn't look great. That was that was a quite a big drop. Um, I, I guess a couple of clubs who, uh, and I've already seen things in the Liverpool Echo, so I'm talking to them shortly after we finish this interview. Um,
0: you were you a tart, you know that. <laughs> you are simply, I thought I was a carry on
1: <laughs> um but the, the value of everton was uh surprisingly low at around about 250 million but the reason for that is that they they've been sort of caught by both sides they can't increase income till they move to the new stadium so therefore they've got you know goodison which which i, I is is great to visit from um a history and heritage point of view yeah. but if you're six yeah. foot three like I am there's no way you can sit down because th- there's not enough room in the seats um, so it, it's, it's a great place to visit but Everton are a traditional working class club and therefore they price tickets accordingly so they don't generate a lot of income under the new owner Farhad Mashiri, what Everton have done is that they've spent a fortune recruiting players, you know, Sigurdsson, Rashalison, and so on, they, they, you know, Theo Walcott. All of those players have come to Goodison and they are being paid significant wages. So, so Everton lost over a hundred million pounds last season, and if you're a business that's losing money, that's going to affect your value. So, so that was one, um, and I think West Ham was the other. You know, Karen Brady on her website says that the club are worth eight hundred million. Um, I, I came in at a fraction of that, and and again, I think it's because they're, they're paying wages which are high. If you you can get a cheap season ticket at the London Stadium, so. I think the fans were promised one thing and they've not quite delivered in terms of um, it's difficult to make a lot of money out of a London stadium if you're West Ham because ultimately they're tenants rather than owners.
0: Yeah, somebody pointed out, I always refer to Goodison Park. In my, my biggest compliment about a ground is I'll say yes, it's a proper ground, proper ground. And Goodison Park, proper ground. And somebody pointed out that to me recently that normally the grounds I say proper. A bit ramshackle, a bit run down. You wouldn't necessarily want to go there as a tourist. So it's it, it is my biggest compliment. It doesn't necessarily mean a lot. You've just touched on something there, Kieran. Are you are you rattling a few cages here? I mean, are you if your if your valuation, which is being publicised as as we know, um, mainly by you, but if your public if, if it is being made well known, and it it doesn't tally with with what a club are publicly saying, you you could be. I'm not suggesting you don't walk down any dark alleys in the East End, but it, it's, it, you are open for a little bit of criticism here, aren't you? If your if your version tallies, because you know it, it could affect potential buyers and investors. couldn't it? Um,
1: I, I think it's it's one model. You know, that there are lots of others. Which if, if I was involved in a deal, I'd be I'd be looking across a range of ways of valuing a football club. You know, the one that I use is sort of a you know a quick and dirty one, which which is still puts a lot of time into it. <laughs> but
0: uh... <laughs> of course, you use a quick and dirty one. <laughs> if I knew there was a quick and dirty option, that would be the one I assumed that you used. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, if. Mrs., Mrs., Mrs. McGuire's out again, isn't she? She is indeed. Yes. Yeah, I thought she might be. <laughs> walking <out>. the dog. <laughs> um,
1: so yeah, it, it, it's it's one method. Um, but it works at times. We, we valued uh, Arsenal two years ago, um, and that worked out as being 99.8 nine eight percent accurate when uh wow. when silent stand bought out uh, uh Usmanov. So it's 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 uh it doesn't work every time but it's it's a, it's a good start point in for, for negotiations. I, I'm fully aware that the, the, the West Ham owners actually turned down eight hundred million for an offer for the club and that clearly yeah. that's probably ties in with Karen Brady's comments on the website. And I suspect at present they're they're crying into their Whatever they they use to occupy themselves, um, uh, as a result of 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 uh, rejecting that particular deal, because I think they'd struggle to get those numbers for the club today.
0: In your reluctance to avoid saying crying into their beer for some reason, you came up with something much more sinister. Um, now, before we leave on this subject, um, I have to ask: obviously, the the oldest football club in the league, Crystal Palace, comfortably mid-table. I hope.
1: Yeah, I, this is not a, criti- well, it is a criticism of Palace, I guess. They've not published their accounts. So I, I've had to value them on 2018 figures. They came out oh, okay. at 200 million, um, which you'll be delighted to know was slightly above Brighton. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, if if you could have a word with Mr. Parrish and he could forward me the accounts, um, I could do a proper valuation for them. Um, and, and yeah, you know, that, that could push them higher up the table. That they're the only club along with Newcastle who haven't published.
0: I, I believe and I don't know why but I believe historically we we are always late to publish our results. I don't know why. Um I will have a word with Steve Parrish, but probably not about that. Now. Um obviously if you've had a busy a busy meal with the Premier League clubs you like nothing better than a bake here and just to clear the palate afterwards. So you had a look at Brentford's accounts as well, didn't you? And I I would guess that Brentford are a club on the up aren't they? On 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 and off the pitch.
1: Yeah, I- the Brentford model is is an intriguing one in, in that they recruit players using one of these moneyball approaches. That their, their owner Matthew Benham um, he owns Smart Odds, the company, and he's huge into his data. So what happens with Brentford is that they lose money on a day to day basis. You know that the the wage bill is is still higher than their income. But what they've done every year since they've been promoted from League One to the Championship is that they've found players, they've spotted talent, they, they, don't, have a, they don't have an academy. What they do instead is that they, they look at players who are being rejected by other clubs in London and they say, come and play for us. And, and that model has worked okay. because they have made around about, I think it's around about 130 million quid in profits from selling players. Um, and oh, wow. as a as a business model, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I, I teach business at, at university. I, I think it's a really clever approach. They're making more money, sort of over that five year period from player sales than practically everybody else. Um, and they do it because they believe in the data um, in terms of identifying particular characteristics. They always go for younger players. That which, with a view to moving them on within a couple of years, um, you know, Tarkovsky went to to Burnley, and he's you know he's established himself as a as a centre half. He's on you know on the you know, England player. Um, they sold Neil Mope to us for fifteen to twenty million, made a huge profit on that, and they are very very good at this particular approach to football.
0: Yeah, and anybody travelling west out of London in the past two years has been able to see that rather smart looking new stadium. Uh, in progress um, I presume that's going to greatly improve match day income as well is it?
1: Yeah I mean I, as a fan probably like you I love going to Brentford it, It's there's always a cracking atmosphere there yeah. um, although I got into a lot of trouble the last time I was there because I ended up in the director's box and I made the mistake of celebrating a 97th minute goal for us um which didn't go down well uh, there it's the only time i've ever been in a director's box it'll never go again uh because it's it's not it's not for somebody like me who's who's a bit gobby um but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic ground. You've got the four pubs on the corner of the, uh, the stadium. Um, you know, so I, I can go for the full remit of lime and soda there. Uh, but the, the, the new ground is, is pretty close. It will be bigger. It will allow them to generate more money from boxes and hospitality and so on. Um, part, part of you always sheds a, a silent tear uh, when clubs do move, though, from, from one ground to another. <laughs>
0: I've got a theory that the only reason they are moving is because they're so fed up with That's the only fact everybody knows about Brentford. As soon as you mention Brentford, everyone goes, oh, yeah, pub on every corner. Yeah, really. We haven't noticed, really. <laughs> although although one day, if you're good, I'll tell you Bradley Walsh's Bill Dodging story when he was playing for Brentford Reserves, which, he, which is one of my favourite TV moments, a TV show with an audience, I would say. None of whom were over the age of thirty, and Bradley started talking about Bill Dodgin, who was manager of Brentford in the in the mid seventies. Which is, oh man, you know, actual tumbleweed in the studio is great. Um, and we, unfortunately, we do have to we, we have to move on to the more topical issues with the continuing crisis. Um, we mentioned the domino effect in Europe last week, and it's all been starting to happen. France has now cancelled their football, becoming the much the biggest country to do so. UEFA are getting a little bit edgy. It seems they've given every country until the 25th of May to to make a final decision about whether or not they continue, don't they?
1: Yes, and, and I think if you if you look what's happening to England, you know we're we're starting to be surrounded. Yeah, you know, um, the Netherlands, yeah. Belgium, France, Scotland football there has, has all been cancelled. I appreciate it's still going in potentially in the Premiership in Scotland, but but yeah. the lower leagues are being closed down. Um, Certainly, looking at the noises coming out of other countries, uh, you know, President Macron said, that "I don't want people gathering 22 guys on a pitch. I don't think it's right for health and safety." And I think there's also that there is a danger: is that if things do start to progress and we have not really made it in terms of the health issues, we might subconsciously start to stop the social isolation ourselves and i think that's part of the fear that they have in france so uh it, it's it's not as lucrative a league as the premier league uh, in terms of the tv deal um and i'm just wondering now is the premier league and and the efl are those leagues continuing because purely because of money issues and the fear of individual clubs suing the authorities yeah. um on the basis of relegation promotion and things of this nature um, so uh, the the lower leagues, uh, certainly here in England, are being split. You've got the likes of Dara Anthony at Peterborough, who is putting very, very vocal um, in terms of saying that football must continue under practically every, under, 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 under all circumstances. You've got other owners saying, we can't afford to, to do it because we have to take the players out to furlough. We've got to pay them there for the wages and we've got nothing coming in.
0: Yeah, In Germany and Italy, the the authorities there have been very vocal in the past few weeks about you know, ensuring that football will continue. My instinct is starting to be that I, two weeks ago, I was absolutely convinced that football would, would find a way of completing the fixtures. I still hope they do. I still think it's the right thing to do. But as each day goes by, I can't help but think that it, it might be next season. It might be they just say, look, we have to clear the decks and try and start... Next season, and then deal with the the financial legislation, the legal aspects of it afterwards. Because you know, clubs like Leeds wouldn't take that decision lying down. But I mean, there's going to come a time where it, you know, next season won't start till March. So it's these decisions have to be made, and luckily we're not the people who have to make them. Um, UEFA are also consulting about the new club competitions, aren't they? From 2024
1: that's right again this was something which came up in the football association um annual report um but it was unusual to see it you know as starkly written as that um what the proposals will mean is that there's now going to be sort of 96 clubs potentially taking place in three competitions of 32. But the the key issue, which the FA raised, that would be that there would have to be another eight European games. Now, we've already got fixture congestion. Um, yeah, We've had this discussion before. If there is going to be fixture congestion, how do we alleviate it? Um england's realistically the only country which is a as a second cup competition we know um as supporters of premier league clubs that that our clubs don't give it perhaps the you know don't take it over seriously if you get knocked out nobody nobody sheds a tear over that particular issue um so the carabao cup has got to look very vulnerable certainly replays as far as the fa cup they're looking vulnerable as well but it's that my concern there is that's great as far as the elite clubs are concerned, but if you are Walsall, Accrington, Morecambe, it's getting that occasional windfall which does make a hell of a difference to your finances. So the the gap between the big and the and the and the the smaller clubs is going to grow further. Um, and i think the other potential issue could be a, a uh, certainly a, a push to have the premier league reduced to 18 teams now clearly everybody's going to be resisting that um if, if you're not one of the, uh, the the top top clubs but you know they will then threaten to set to set up the european super league and and leave the other clubs so a lot of negotiations going to be taking place um hopefully some form of Decent compromise can be made. Perhaps that, as a result of the second club competition going and FA Cup replays, that more money will filter down to the smaller clubs. Because as we've said all along, and I appreciate, you know, we we are romantics as far as the game. Football club is more than a football club. It, it is that yeah. that integral part of the community. um You know, I I went to some of the meetings in Berry. Yeah, we. we there's, there's things kicking off about Berry as well this week. You don't want to see any community leave leave, leave the club and also lose its own identity.
0: Yeah, here, here. Um, I think it's a it says a lot about our different approaches to this pod, Kieran. That you've read the FA annual report from cover to cover, and I never heard of it. But yeah, too, too, I think that's why we're so popular because I think we cover both the bases. You know, we have the we have the proper research scientists and we have the lazy ass. Before, he just picks up a script and reads it out, basically. Um, I, I did, however, in the course of my research for another project, discover uh, an even more pointless European competition. I knew, I remember the Anglo-Italian Cup because Palace played in it, but I, I, I'd forgotten there was an Anglo-Italian League Cup for two seasons where the winners of the, the, the League Cups in, in England and Italy played... The smallest tournament in the world. This just played, this just played, play, play, and, and and of course one of them was stopped for crowd trouble. But there you go. Um, <laughs> I also discovered now this story I did know about as I was writing for. Have I got news for you the other day? And one of the uh, websites we were we were. I can't remember what story it would have been, why, but we ended up on the East Anglia version of the BBC, so I knew about this story. Col- Colchester United have become the first team to lay players off because of the, the coronavirus. But it, it appears, from the research I did accidentally, um, it's mainly older players and players that were coming to the end of their contracts.
1: Anyway, is that right? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, it involves their captain. Um, you know, all the players involved have played at least twenty times this season. So, so not, it's not as not as if they're peripheral. Um, but what the what the club owner has said is that in an ideal world, he would be offering these players new contracts when they expire at the thirtieth of June he doesn't think he can afford it so he's letting them know now so he's still going to pay them up to the 30th of june but normally if you think about it you know a, a club's retained list you would normally put out, um, you know, in in the week after the season ends, and, and the club makes that particular announcement. The fact that Colchester are announcing it now, um, I, I guess it, it's sad in a way for the players because they're going to have to find a, a new club. But at least the club is giving them the opportunity to start making those phone calls yeah. earlier than they would otherwise have to have to do so. Um, there are going to be hundreds of professional footballers desperately seeking jobs when it comes to the end of June. Um, And that as we've discussed, that can cause a a a very big mess in terms of who are you contracted to um, from, from the 1st of July, if the season goes beyond that date. And I think, uh, unless there can be an agreement made between players who who've got to look after their, their their own families and and they've got bills to pay um either via their their representatives or the PFA um and clubs we we could end up in a, an absolute mire um come the start of July if the seasons haven't finished by then
0: it, it does indicate yet again Kieran i think as it did with the the Luton interview last week that Club chairman at that level are trying, at least, their very best to manage this situation in as decent a way as possible. And like, it's, it's it's very unfortunate that these players are, are being laid off. But he has tried to soften the impact. He is paying them a certain amount of money. It, it, they're not they're not panicking, are they? Club club owners, club CEOs, seem to be, for the most part, acting responsibly and are aware of their responsibilities, not just to the club but to the community as well.
1: Yes, I, I, I think what what we have seen in in the vast majority of cases is that clubs have really stepped up in, in terms yeah. of uh, trying to keep fans as uh, as as in in the loop as they can expect to be. You know, it, ultimately, it's it's a private conversation between owner and player. But I think that the clubs have been relatively honest. Some of the activities by by clubs in making facilities available to the NHS and other frontline services. Has, has made me proud to be a football fan. Um, at the same time, there's been one or two others where you think that, that doesn't reflect too well. Um, if we take Bristol City yesterday, they announced that they're going to be furloughing uh, a lot of their backroom staff, but they're not going to be topping up the wages. So you know, at oh, present, okay. you get 80% of the wages up to two and a half grand a month. They're not going to be doing that top up. They have got a deferment with the players, but the players are going to be paid 100% of the wages now right. so so why is that well it's because the players can be sold as commodities and you know with with due respect to to doris the tea lady she can't and and that that makes you feel Slightly uneasy, especially when the the owner of Bristol City Football Club, who has put a lot of money in historically, is is a billionaire who lives in the Channel Islands. Yeah,
0: Okay. I almost wish I hadn't asked that. Even even as as I was saying, making that little impassioned speech on behalf of club owners, I could see the glint in your eye that you were going to contradict me. That's fine. That's That's how it works. Um, Also, when you're talking about football and being proud of football, I think that there isn't a single club where the fans in their numbers haven't stepped up The the imaginative ways that football fans are using to raise money for the local communities and sometimes for their club, that's really made me proud to be a a football fan. And, And, you know, umpteen different palace groups are raising money in. In different ways, whether it's through auctions, charity walk. Mark Bright did a sponsored silence the other day, which killed him. It's it's seriously. Generally, I could do that fine. You, but um, so people are really, really doing good things, and that's what's made me proud to be. I've always been proud to be a football fan. We both have, but we've always acknowledged that there are elements in football, as there are in any society, that aren't brilliant. But I think I think football fans have been wonderful in this crisis, and I'm proud to be one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think we've we've also had this discussion. People who don't get football, that they, they are missing out on something because yep. we're not idiots, we're not oiks, we we're, we're not hooligans. We are, you know, sons and brothers and mums and dads. And the the efforts put in by clubs all over the country is is ab- absolutely super. Yeah,
0: it's just some of us like a dirty spreadsheet more than others, Kieran. That's all. Um, let's end for once on a, an optimistic note. Uh, even allowing for what I said earlier, that my my fears each day goes by is that the season won't won't continue. Um, And for those of you just joining us, that's a fear, my fear. It's not based on any information. But there is a a glimmer of hope, and that is that uh, three Premier League clubs, one of them is is yours, Brighton, happy to acknowledge that, plus Arsenal, plus West Ham, have now allowed players back into the training ground for individual training, subject, of course, to all the proper social distancing measures. So that is one little glimmer of hope on the horizon that, that we might be getting towards whatever normality is in the near future.
1: That that's right, and uh, you know clearly individual clubs have made decisions. They're in daily communication with players, but uh, training by yourself, you know, working out, doing exercises, it isn't the same as uh, operating w- within a unit. Um, I-, I think those players that have been allowed to use club facilities will have come to a very sterile environment. So it it won't be the you know the, the dressing room environment that even even if you're playing Sunday league football is, is such a joy uh, go, going back to your youth but it's it's a start, and, and anything which I think we can cling on to as a positive, we will do. Um, the, the Premier League is is hoping to start ideally on the seventh of June. There's a meeting taking place this Friday uh, amongst the clubs that will require full training, I think, to to commence around about the sixteenth of May. So we've got just over a fortnight. You know, effectively, it'll be you know a fortnight Monday um, if 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 clubs then go into training. I think we'll all be celebrating because everybody has sort of bought into lockdown, but you want something to look forward to, um, and this could be the case. At the same time, nobody can justify... money being taken away and resources you know the ppe resources being taken away um from anybody that has, is putting their life on the line on a daily basis in other industries
0: yeah but as you say it's a start i can't remember a very wise man it was either confucius or bilbo baggins uh who technically is a hobbit so he was a wise man one of one of them said that a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step so this at least is a single step now um today's thursday uh, so it's our it's our normal pod today, the one we discuss the big issues. We'll be back on Monday with our questions pod. Uh, if you have any questions to put to us about any issue regarding football finance, uh, questions at com is what you want. Um, Luton fans, you probably have a week off. You've asked Kieran most of the questions via social media, and he's dealing with some of them. God bless him. Um, so we'll we'll see you again on Monday. I hope you have a, a good weekend. It's my, my birthday of the weekend, Kieran. Oh, very happy day. Yeah. Well it won't be, but you know, it will be fine. It'll be it'll be the same as you. I might have a, I might have a special trip to the co-op. Who knows? Wouldn't well, that be great? <laughs> um the price of Football was Adapted Production. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you soon. Stay safe. Have a good weekend. Cheerio folks. For this is a cast recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're gonna love.
1: This is Creepy, a collection of the most famous and disturbing stories and urban legends from the deepest, darkest corners of the web. Hosted by creator John Grills and a cast of creepy narrators. New stories added every Sunday. Listener discretion is advised. Listen free on your favorite podcatcher or find us at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.